Good any time of the day that you're listening. This is the Adobe Podcast with Jeff Barrett, and I'm with Karina Wong, a mother of three in the public schools and happens to work at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, also working on innovation and scale. Karina, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. So what I wanted to talk about is, obviously, Adobe talks about experience business. Um, whether that relates to, I mean, that's a buzzword, right? That can be a bunch of different things. But what does experience and creating experience mean to you and your work in innovation? Yeah. So at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, one of the things that, um, we don't use the word experience directly, but I think we probably should. Um, we talk about it more in terms of user-centered design or um, how do we think about behavior change of the, uh, I work on the education team of the young people uh, and the educators and adults in the systems that we're trying to um, shift. So um, it's really more about sort of what's the experience that we want kids to have in schools that enables them to reach their potential. No, that's cool. And you know, tell me about a couple of the things maybe specifically that you're working on right now that you're passionate about. So one of the um, networks that I helped launch a few years ago is called Teacher to Teacher. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the things that I think is an underutilized tool in social innovation is our networks and building a community. Oftentimes we think we've got to build the product and then we have to scale the product <laughs> to the community. Yeah. So we took a very different approach and said, let's just see where is the community now, what do they really care about, and in our case it was teachers. And um, see what happens if we can bring all of these teachers who trust other teachers, who want to talk to other teachers but feel very isolated, together online. And that became this 1.4 million teacher community called Teacher to Teacher. That's massive. And it was really a bottom-up effort. And it wasn't about the Gates Foundation saying, talk about this. It was truly a peer-to-peer -peer community. But because we focused on the network and the community before the product, um, I really do think that teachers are able to then um, innovate and bring their innovations to the surface. So mm -hmm. it became this really very different thing that the foundation had not done before. Typically foundations uh, invest in capacity building or they invest in policies right. and things that are uh, appear uh, more top down to the people in the trenches. And so this became this amazing way that we could support the uh, diffusion of innovation um, as well as create sort of uh, a landing place for some of the amazing things that we do invest in. I was going to ask, I mean, uh, what the relationship between, like, obviously there are always a lot of public-private partnerships in foundation work, but do you see an opportunity now to kind of duplicate that model with more, you know, kind of ground-up um, support of initiatives? Absolutely. I actually wish more um, entrepreneurs would think about community first uh, mm -hmm. before product. And I actually wish that more foundations actually thought more about sort of user-centered design and um, sort of bottom-up strategies. I do think it could be transferable to other places. We've been talking to some of the folks. I work on the education team, but there are folks on the global team that have been talking about HIV-AIDS. Mm -hmm. um, uh, there are others on the maternal health team that have been talking about, you know, how do you take an innovation and spread it across a village? Um, how do you change the behavior um, or invest in a set of healthcare workers who are working on HIV-AIDS and transform that? It's the same set of principles. You need to start from the bottom and engage the community. How do you, you know, kind of digging into specifics with what you do, how do we kind of I mean, there's a, there's a broad question of how we fix the public schools, or if, if they need to be fixed, but more so, how do we, you know, what are some of the smaller steps we can be taking to make that experience better for kids? You know, I think with the, the exponential growth of technology and things, we have to stop thinking about schools and think about learning and where learning happens. And I think learning happens in a lot of places. And what we haven't done a good enough job, I think, in the formal system is integrating those two systems, informal and formal. 
uh, learning opportunities, informal and formal networks, um, where mm -hmm. kids are uh, learning uh, in different places at different times. And I think that's really going to be the pressure on the education system over the next couple of years is how to really harness where learnings happen and what are the next set of skills that kids need. They might not be best taught in the schools uh, in the way they're currently configured. And that, that how they learn should look and reflect how their work life will appear, right? That's exactly right. Some I mean, kind of direct correlation. Yeah, I mean, if you think about, um, we were recently um, at a conference at MIT and someone from Stanford came and she started to talk about um, flash organizations, mm -hmm. how they're crowdsourcing talent. Now, if you think about crowdsourcing talent to solve really complex problems, that's a really different job description than what most kids in school are thinking about what they want to be or do. Right, they're that's sitting a, in a desk. That's right. That's not going to be their day-to-day. -day. Career paths are dead in that same way. And I think it's really about a new set of, sometimes I call them VUCA skills, um, volatile, uncertain, complex, adaptable. You have to be able to survive in that kind of world. What are the kinds of skills that kids these days need in that um, because we don't know what the jobs are going to be. Well, it's interesting. I was at NC State University last week, and they're top 20 now in entrepreneurship. And that seems kind of crazy, and because and they've, they've made really good efforts for it. But it almost seems like, again, even at the college level, we're not necessarily, we're, we're teaching students, but we're not necessarily preparing them for all these different tracks they want to go on. And so it's, it's that delicate balance of, yes, we obviously have to teach you things, but we also kind of have to prepare you for things. And, um, you know, I like programs that I see where even middle schoolers are getting an introduction into business and entrepreneurship because then that's a better idea of will they like that? Will, you know, the earlier you expose kids, right, to certain things, they'll understand if they like it. Yeah, and I think we're seeing a lot of disruption in the post-secondary space with mm -hmm. um, groups like Make School and Holberton and 42 mm -hmm. um, really sort of saying, no, we're actually, we 42 doesn't even offer you a degree after six years. You get a set of internships, there's no teachers, uh, it's all peer-based, it's all problem-based. You see um, a group like uh, Make School that um, has an income sharing agreement. You don't have to pay for your education until right. you actually have a job. Those are the kinds Incredible. of disruptions that I think are going to put pressure on the the four-year systems and um, and I hope the two-year systems because I think that community colleges can't be left out. The majority of jobs are not going to require a four-year degree as you start to right. see it and they need to start picking up sort of the innovation um, and the slack and thinking about how do we position um, young people who go get certifications and two-year degrees for those kinds of new jobs. Yeah, and we're adapting. Like if the resume is starting to become less relevant and there's other things that are being used, then that trickles down to okay, then maybe the four or two year isn't as relevant. Now it's just based on experience. We always talk about how you know manufacturing jobs create, so now everything has to require degrees. But I could easily go teach a kid how to code in six months, and that kid would be effective and be able to have a high paying job. Right. So, I mean, it makes me wonder why I went to online school. <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know, but I mean, but again, that was, you know, 12 years ago, and that was a different time. Yeah. So, but to, if I was doing it today, I probably would wouldn't even go get a degree yeah. and I'm, I'm, like, I'm not trying to tell kids don't get a degree and don't get it but seek education in a different way and education is lifelong yeah. you know we never stop learning we never try and and for the amount of times like I don't know if you have stats on how many times people have to pivot their career yeah. in a lifetime but that's only going to rise it's rising and um, Heather McGowan has a great phrase which I love is learning agility we mm -hmm. all need learning agility wonderful we need how to learn relearn um, and unlearn things. Yeah. And um, as a tiger mom of three, that's the advice I would give most moms. <laughs> what, what is your best piece of advice, it, just in life in general? 
Um, or a go-to. A go-to piece of advice um, <clears throat> for, for parents getting their Anything. kids ready. Across the board, just in your entire life, what's your best piece of advice? doesn't even have to be oh, relevant to this podcast. Oh, God. That's I a lot know. Of, that is a lot of pressure. I know. We um, can always circle back to it. Okay. We can, we'll no, circle back. I, have, um, I actually have um, seven. Um, it's, it's named after the Alice in Wonderland thing. Um, mm-hmm where the queen says to Alice, well, I've done six impossible things before breakfast. <laughs> so as a tiger mom, I have seven impossible things that are on my refrigerator that I ask my kids to do. And yeah. um, one of them is to solve a wicked problem. Okay. Uh, another one is to make a space more beautiful. Uh, another one is to teach someone something, uh, etc. So yeah. there are those kinds of things that I think are the kinds of things that um, all kids need and need to be taught to be. To really, um, it's not so much about to be happy or to be successful, it's about being to thrive. Right. Um, Marty Seligman uses that phrase, thriving. Uh, and that's what I think we want all kids to do. And being present. I think as we go forward with it, with technology, we actually have to be intentional about being present yep. in the moment, which is really tough to do and I'm guilty of it a lot. I'm the kind of person that will text and fall in a pool. So I need to like, <laughs> like that's how I know I need to work on it. There's an old Chinese saying um, that is, uh, people who live in the past, um, uh, have anxiety, I think it is, and people who, uh, no, it's people who live in the past are depressed. Mm-hmm. People who live in the future have anxiety because they're always worried about it. Right. But only the people who live in the present are truly happy. Okay, we're closing on that because that's just <laughs> wonderful. Uh, again, this is Karina Wong from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. It was a pleasure being here.